Well, we're in the middle of a series in 1 Peter. And for me, uh, this is a really good letter that Peter wrote to the churches at the time. And, and they were doing it tough. There was a lot going on. Uh, you would say that, there, that, that there was, uh, the government was coming against them. The culture was coming against them. And Peter wrote this, this letter just to, to paint this beautiful picture of what, what, kingdom, what God's kingdom looks like that Christians are a part of. We live in that time between the first and second coming of Jesus. But the kingdom of heaven is here. And yet at the same time, we still, evil is still around us. You know, sin still permeates the world and it affects us in many different ways. There's a great struggle between these two things. And yet the good news is that the kingdom of heaven has already won. You know, maybe at times it, it doesn't feel like it. You know what it's like right now when we see the news we think, well, well, God, this doesn't feel like your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, and yet there is still evil at work. But his kingdom is moving, and we're part of it. We already know the outcome, though. We have a job to advance and fight for the kingdom, and yet we fight, the way we fight is not the natural human way like we see on the news every night. It's the Jesus way. And, you know, we've been talking about that a lot this year, haven't we? We overcome evil by doing good. That's how we fight. Good in every way. We meet people's desperate needs. That's, that's how we fight. You know, we advance justice and compassion and grace. That's the kingdom. That's the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We, we turn the other cheek. We're quick to forgive. We spread peace and joy. We invite people to a new life with Jesus. You know, the transformed life. Imagine that spreading around the world as people are transformed by the goodness of God and the Holy Spirit living in them. I mean, that, honestly, you wonder what the answers are to all of our troubles. That's an answer right there. There will be a time when the fullness of God's kingdom is realised, when Jesus returns. We, we have confidence that he will because he came the first time and he said he'll come again. So we got that confidence. But until then, how we, the church, go about our life is essential to his kingdom come. His will be done. There's no mandate anywhere in the Bible to hide away and wait for Jesus. It's tempting to, and I get the attraction to that idea, but that's not what the disciples did. We embrace the kingdom life in our community and we invite people to join with Jesus and to join with us. And this week Peter talks about persecution. You know, to, to a group of churches that... that they know what he was talking about when he says these things. They get it. No doubt about it. It was hard to be a Christian in the Roman Empire around, you know, we think around 65 AD perhaps when, when Peter wrote this letter. You know, you, you would be ridiculed. You, you would be pressured. You would sometimes be cut off and you think, well, we can be sometimes experience that. Yes, but sometimes they were forced from their home. And, and, and perhaps their city, and sometimes jailed, and sometimes possibly even killed for confessing and practicing faith in Jesus. It still happens around us in the world today, but not so much here. So we don't fully appreciate it, and yet most of us have probably at the very least experienced forms of rejection. Perhaps you've experienced mocking. Perhaps you've experienced pressure because you follow Jesus. And if you haven't, then, you know, Ask why that's the case. 
we get uh, just a taste of it and we, and we feel it just a bit. And I put the word pressure into the title. Uh, I think we call it under pressure. We did, under pressure. Um, instead of the word persecuted, because I just, I'm always very reluctant to compare us to, you know, what our brothers and sisters are going through in North Korea, you know, and, and, and dozens and dozens of other countries around the world. And I, and I just, I wouldn't, I'm careful with that, with that word, that's all. But Peter's message can still apply to us, and since we're making our way through the whole letter, we're going to read it today and work out what the principle for us is. When that moment of pressure comes because of your faith, you know, at school, at uni, at work, in your friendship circles, perhaps, perhaps even in your family, because you follow Jesus and live a life that sets you apart from the culture in some very obvious ways, sometimes we can feel pressure from people and from our culture. Perhaps there's a an expectation to agree with something that gives you kudos in the culture, but it doesn't align with God's ethics. You know, you have, a, you have to wear a certain colour on a certain day, for example. You feel that pressure. Sometimes there may even be a cost to pay. Someone can literally decide, I can't like you because of what you believe. You know, that can happen. I know probably, to be honest, young people at school can be the hardest time, you know, because... Teenagers are really pretty good at speaking up about how they feel about things, and you can feel it there. You know, I remember going to a state high school as a, as a teenager, and, um, you know, there was like 1,200, 1,300 people at Fernie Grove High. Any other Fernie Grove Highers here? There's one. <laughs> I heard a little, yay, somewhere. Hi, Karen. <laughs> You know, but I remember thinking they had a little group where the Christian Fellowship would, would meet once a week and there was like six of us or something like that. And I think, there's got to be more and amongst 1,300 kids. But it was kind of nerve-wracking to go there because if anyone saw you walk in and out, there was a good chance they're going to say something to you because of what you believed in your faith in Jesus. So how do we live when this happens, when the pressure is on us because of that faith? And Peter has some advice. So that's what we're up to in his letter. Point number one, and this, this seems familiar to, to you because it's the point I've been trying to make all year. When the pressure comes, at all times, do good. So we're in verse 13 of chapter 3. Peter says this. Now, who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? And, and I guess eager is the key word for me. There's a desire in Christians or in followers of Jesus and an, an eagerness to do good in our world like he did. You know, that kind of, that's what we're about. One of the pillars of how we express our faith in Jesus is a constant outward flow of goodness. You know, there's a, there is an eagerness to overcome evil. We, we feel useless about what's going on in the world. You want to beat that, do good. That's how you push back against evil. And that's the church. If we can't look back on our life with Jesus and not see that track record, it, it could be that we're not aligned with him very well. Do, doing good has the added benefit of not only potentially, potentially disarming anyone who might have something against you because of your faith, which is, kind of, which is partly Peter's point, I guess. It earns respect with people and it's the best way to be the ambassador of Christ. And throughout history, it was the church, quite frankly, that led the way in doing good. You know, it's often where the hospitals began for people who, were, who needed health support 
or healthcare. It's often where education began. It was, it was Christians who decided the best way we can do good right now is to help kids have an education. Those sorts of things, charity work, were often the church's domain. Now, governments took on this role more and more. It's tempting to think, well, they've got it now. Thanks, government. I'll pay my taxes and that's how I do good. <laughs> but there is always some good that needs to be done in our communities. So be eager to do good. I would even say personally, in your marriage, in your marriage, be eager to do good. Find ways to sacrifice for your spouse. Discover their love language and love them in that way. Support each other through the difficult parts in life. And I get for some of you sitting here today, you go, man, that is really hard for me in this season right now. We've got trouble, and I understand. I'm saying the general principle right now is this. Don't be selfish. In your family, be eager to, good, to do good. You know, how do we bring this into my family? Because this is not just a thing about doing charity work in our community and doing good to people around us. You know, this is, I'm saying right now probably the best space you can think about is how I do good in my family. You know, how do I put time aside for, for, my, for my kids when I'm super busy in my work? I'm saying that do good means that, that our kids, we have a responsibility to, to them. We have to minister to them as parents as well. They grow up fast. Trust me. Some of you know what I'm talking about. They, 20 years that they live with you, 30 for some. You know, that's, that goes fast. Or it slows down after 20. But... My girls are away on camp this week. <laughs> and I love them so much. And I do. My point is, don't miss it. You know. And I get we're talking about pressure and persecution, all that sort of stuff. I'm just using the general principle of how doing good just stuff. It spreads out throughout everything that we do. Most of all, model to your kids the life of an eager disciple, you know. Uh, eager to do good. Hopefully our kids see that in us. Eager to do good. And if you're sitting there evaluating that and thinking, gee, I'm not so sure, it's never too late to change. They watch and learn. How you walk with Jesus, they watch that. You know, how you pray, our kids watch that. Your devotional life, how you love other people, how you talk about others, how you love the church. They, our kids see all that. I'm just, again, I'm probably taking this a, a few steps too far for the point today, but I just want to keep going with this do good thing. Be eager to do good. In your workplace or school, be eager to do good. Set the tone that reflects Jesus. Again, I come back to Sharon Ward's great testimony in the hospital ward she was in that was toxic. She stuck around. She worked really hard and did good and did good and did good and transformed that place, her and some others, so much so people just love to be there now instead of wanting to flee it like they used to. Even when the pressure comes on you, that's not the time to stop. That's the time to probably do even more good, which brings me to my second point. Even when the pressure is ramped up, keep doing good. Feels like the first point, doesn't it? But here's what verse 14 says in uh, 2 Peter chapter 3. Even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. You know, the first verse said, if you do good, people are probably going to 
not harm you. And then he says, yeah, but sometimes they do. So even if you do, that's not the time to stop. Jesus said inevitably, this is Jesus I'm talking about, not Peter. Jesus said inevitably, those who follow him will experience some things because of him. You know, you will face some pressure to varying degrees. And my only warning on this is to ensure that pressure or those attacks that might come your way for your faith, when you're feeling that pressure, the attacks, make sure they're for the right reasons. I've seen Christians be mean and hurtful and then they go, oh yeah, I'm, I'm getting it back my way because I follow Jesus. Now you're getting it back your way because you're mean and hurtful. And so when you feel in that pressure, make sure it's for the right reasons. If you're not doing good and you're under attack for being nasty, it's not proof of your depth of faith, it's proof that you're nasty. <laughs> if, however, you meet the standard of Peter here, and you're eagerly doing good, and the pressure comes, then yes, you're in good company with this church, this early church, with Peter and the disciples and Jesus, and, and he says, God will reward you for it. You may not get the reward from the people or the culture, but God will reward you for it. You need to hold on to that church because sometimes it just feels like it's easier just to say, no, I'm going to go with it. And I don't want that anymore. I don't want to have to tippy-toe around my faith. I'm just going to blend in now and hopefully avoid any of that pressure that might come Peter says, God, if you stick to him and continue to do good, God will reward you for it. it doesn't, he doesn't say when, which would have been nice. If, if Peter had said, God will reward you for this in the next decade, you'd be like, well, I can hold on for that. He doesn't say when, but it doesn't matter. He will. It might be in eternity. And everyone goes, oh, I'd like it this side of eternity, please, God. It might be this side of eternity. Actually, I think that there will be rewards in this life. All you need to know is God sees you. You know, when it's tough, when your faith is under fire, he sees you and he says, I'll reward you for that. Point number three is don't be afraid. When the pressure comes, don't be afraid. Teens at school, when the pressure comes for your faith, don't be afraid. Still in verse 14. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. You know, I guess threats was the word he used because that, that, that was legit in that time. You know, threats against your life even perhaps. But sometimes it's threats against what? Our friendship perhaps? Or our inclusiveness? Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. In other words, here's what I kind of got out of this. There's probably a few ways we can read into this. Here's what I got. Be more concerned about what God thinks than what people think. Be more concerned about what God thinks than what people think, especially people who might pressure you or mock you. I think when Peter says, worship Christ as Lord of your life, he's channeling Paul's words, you know, in Romans, 
when he said, how you worship God is as a living sacrifice. That's, that's what I'm kind of seeing here. Lord of your life is sometimes the missing part for some Christians. I've seen some proclaim Jesus as their saviour, but their life doesn't reflect, reflect Jesus as their Lord, you know, with a capital L. That means quite simply, if I'm in his kingdom, he's on the throne, you know, in my life, he's on the throne. And my allegiance is completely to him and his directions for me, not other people, him, his. I follow him, you know, all of him. That means everything he says. I don't actually get to pick and choose my favorite verses, the ones that make us feel really good, which are there for a reason, to make you feel loved and, and reassure you of who you are in him. Those are great but there's also some very challenging scriptures from the Lord in his word that he knows is best for me and I don't get to pick and choose. It's all of them. Lord of my life is what Peter says. You know, he's God after all, right? The creator and sustainer of the universe, he knows something about what's best for us. He's got an idea. Jesus as Lord requires a clear view of who he is. I always appreciated what C.S. Lewis said about this. You've probably heard this quote. I may have even used it, but here it is again. Lewis says, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. I'm still quoting Lewis. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. Still quoting you can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend it. The only option, I'm ending the quote there, this is me now. The only option he leaves us is to fall at his feet and call him Lord and God and how we live our life should literally reflect that. It's not just good words from our mouth. It's not just our good Sunday praise and worship. How we live and obey reflects the degree that Jesus is actually Lord of my life. You know, it reflects the repentance, I guess, the degree of my repentance comes out of the amount of goodness that, that I do around the place. I think James says something very big about this. I'm just trying, I can't remember the exact verse now, but he was talking about stuff that comes out of the tongue and we're kind of either reflecting, I guess, in a way, hell or heaven with how we do these things. And this is the point from Peter. When someone puts the pressure on you for your faith or perhaps you're tempted, don't worry about what others think so much. Don't be so afraid in that moment. Worry about what God will think. You know, I admired Rick Warren. I saw an interview he did one day with uh, Piers Morgan. Everyone knows who that dude is? I saw a few nods. He was doing a, a great job, by the way, Rick, this is 
Uh, he was espousing a, a beautiful picture of Christian love for all people, no matter who they were, affirming the dignity and value of everyone. But when pressed repeatedly on a, on a matter of sexual ethics, he refused to give in to that pressure. There was a studio, studio audience all around him. You know, you're on the TV. You got the guy saying, but what, can't you just do this, this this way? It has to be this way. And, and uh, Rick Warren said to Piers, I answer to God, I feel the fear the disapproval of God more than the disapproval of you or society. That would have been hard to do under that pressure. And the point is, when someone comes against you because of your faith, so long as the reason is not because you're nasty, don't worry what they think. Don't be afraid. Instead, worry what God, our Lord, thinks. He is God, the creator, the sustainer. You know, he breathed life into us. He's the one that we want to please. All right. Everyone with me so far? Good. Point number four. You know, when the pressure comes, always be ready to explain your faith. All right. We're still in verse 15. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it, but do this in a gentle and respectful way. And I'm glad Peter added that last bit in. You know, because I've seen some people um, do, a ter- do this terribly, you know, not being a very good witness, quite frankly, a terrible ambassador. When you share your faith, we always do that in a way that represents Jesus. And what better way than doing it gently and respectfully? You know, we don't demand anything. You've probably seen a few preachers who are very angry all the time. And um, it, it may get through to some people, but that doesn't align with what Peter says to do. Gentle and respectful. The main point, though, is always be ready. The truth is, it's in the times of pressure that opportunities can come, by the way. I know that doesn't sound right, but you'd be surprised. When pressure's coming against you for your faith, an opportunity can come. So question for everyone here. How ready are you if someone asks about your hope? How ready are you today to explain your hope in Jesus? Because that's what Peter says that we need to do is be ready. Now, if I was to ask you to turn to the person next to you right now and explain your hope in Jesus as a believer, how would you go? And, and right now, some of you are going, I hope he doesn't actually ask us to do that right now. And I am not. <laughs> I'll just let you sweat for a second. But I want to encourage you today, follow Peter's advice. I'm going to say it's good biblical principle for us to follow. Spend some time thinking about this. If you've never done that, how would I do it if an opportunity came? How would I tell people about my hope in Jesus? You know, perhaps, what if you were to take some time out this afternoon or tonight with a pen and paper and go, what what would I say? Because I'm worried about the pressure that might come my way. Well, we've already given you some tips on how to deal with that. When the pressure comes your way, Peter says, be ready to explain your hope. 
write it down, perhaps commit to memory some keywords. The big thing for me is it's your hope in Jesus. In other words, it's, it really is your story. And that's often the most powerful thing. You can have a track, you can have the Roman road and all those things which are really handled. But honestly, if you can give a testimony of who Jesus is to you, that can be the most powerful thing. You know what I've learned? Based on my experience, the best thing I can say if that opportunity comes is I kind of put it back on the person who's asking me the question with this. I ask them, what are your spiritual beliefs? Or even maybe it's just, do you have any spiritual beliefs? The person you're speaking to gets the chance to actually share first. Usually the brain starts ticking over really quick. I'm not sure what my spiritual beliefs are. Some are very sure. But for me, this has been the biggest help I've found in those moments when I can share about my faith. If I let the other person go first, because then it becomes my turn after them. I usually try to cover four things. Number one, I've discovered that the evidence of Jesus, his life and death and resurrection to be true. It's actually, he's grounded in historical records inside and outside of the Bible. You know, there's records of, of Jesus and the crowds that followed him and the claims outside of the Bible I'm talking about. And his death, there's records of him on the cross, his death on the cross, and there's the records of an empty tomb outside of the Bible. And, of course, there's many claims inside the Bible as well. And like C.S. Lewis said, if what Jesus says about him is true, I'm left with a clear choice, so I better find out. Because if he is who he said he is, I have to respond to him. The second thing is the story of God in the Bible explains so much about the meaning and purpose of life. That's the second thing that I like to share with people. You know, there, there is a big picture. The third thing is in my own life, I've experienced enough of God, including moments with the Holy Spirit that I can't explain as feelings and emotion, to sense that he is very much real, including amazing answers to prayer. The fourth thing is I'm not perfect, but God has changed me. And I don't know if I could have done that on my own for the better. And I'm still changing everybody. It's okay if you see some flaws there. God's still working on me. But how do I explain that? I think it's God and the offer of eternity and a relationship with him fills me with amazing hope. So there's four things. And, I, and you just think of some key words. Number one. Well, firstly, what are your spiritual beliefs? And then when it's my turn, the evidence of Jesus for me, this is me, what the Bible explains the meaning of life, my own experience with God and what he's done for me. I just think of those key things when the moments come. In a culture that increasingly brings pressure on faith, Peter says, be ready to share that faith and do it gently and respectfully. Number five, when the pressure comes, keep your conscience clear. Have a clear conscience. Have a clear conscience. All right, still in verse 16. Keep your conscience clear. I guess I borrowed that point pretty straightforward. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what 
a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good if that is what God wants than to suffer for doing what or for doing wrong. There should be nothing that I do that might misrepresent Jesus or worse, turn someone away from him. The worst thing we could ever do is let our life, our actions, our words turn someone from God because of us not doing good. Let there be nothing in our life even that damages the witness of Christ. Have a clear conscience. When the pressure comes, let there be no ammunition that could be used against you. Instead, let people experience your eagerness to do good. Going back to the first point, because you belong to Jesus. And I hope, you know, I hope people can say that about me more and more as I've continued to walk with him. If it ends up you suffer for doing good, Peter says that's far better than suffering for doing wrong. But when it comes to this, to suffering, Peter reminds us that this is exactly what Jesus did. Verse 18, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. There's been quite a theme this year, and I don't know why that's happened so much in these sermon series about uh, you know, pressure and perhaps even suffering for God. But Peter points us to Jesus as ultimately the example. You know, he didn't fight the way humans do. He walked to the cross and suffered and died out of love for us. His suffering and loving sacrifice brought victory on our behalf so that we can be in his kingdom. And as we close today, I again offer the altar prayers. Team are going to be here at the end of this last song. For anyone doing it tough right now because of your faith, Jesus gets it. If you, if, we have a God who understands suffering because he chose to go through that on our behalf. If you're doing it tough, it's like, I can't bear the weight of what's going on in my life now. I'm not just talking about pressure against you because of your faith. I mean, whatever's going on in your life, remember there's a Jesus who clearly said to us, you should come to me. When you feel weary and burdened. So I offer the prayer team again to you today because they believe wholeheartedly in the power of prayer and they want to intercede on your behalf. And it's a good starting point, trust me. I also offer the altar prayer for anyone who feels prompted by the teaching today. You know, when, when Peter says, be eager to be good, and you look through your life and you go, gee, I'm not always that good, to be honest. <sighs> There's times when I lose it, when I'm not representing Christ very well, but I want to be. Come and pray with the prayer team or me or a pastor. We all get it. I want to serve the king better. And lastly, don't miss the powerful invitation in that last verse. If you're exploring faith, if, you, if you're not yet what, you, what we would say a, a Christian or a follower of Jesus, if you haven't said, I've submit to you, 
I understand my need. Please forgive me. If, you, if, you haven't, if you're not in that kingdom camp, don't miss the invitation in the last verse. Let me read it again. Because Christ suffered for your sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. Suffered a physical death, rose again to be our living king today. And again, if that's you today and you've been saying, gee, I've been exploring Christianity. I'm here in church for a reason. I think I believe in something spiritual. There's got to be a God out there. Jesus, I found him to be the answer. And I invite you today to say yes and go all in with him. In fact, Jesus said, if you do that, not only are you forgiven and saved and redeemed and all those fancy words we use, he says, this is the life that I created you for. It's a better life. It's a life where you turn away from the old things and go for all the things that I've got ready for you. And it's a life of eternity as well. You can just, you can do that. There's no set thing you have to say or pray, but it's got to be along those lines of, I admit my need for you, Lord. I believe in you. And I'm committing to you today. ABC. The band's going to come. We're going to start praying. So let's close our eyes. I invite you to pray with me. The reason we close our eyes is just so we can focus. And Lord, this morning we, we once again hear this message about a church that was often persecuted and the pressure was on them. And we, um, it's, it's a... It's a it's often stated throughout the New Testament that this is the case. I guess we get just a little glimpse of it sometimes ourselves. And Lord, we hold on to your words today and we follow them as our, you as our king. We want to do good eagerly. We want to serve you. I want to please you. I'm worried about what you think, Lord, because you love me. And so today, God, we, we just submit ourselves to you again. Lord, what are the times in my week where I'm not representing you right? What are the times, Lord, when, the, when people have perhaps questioned or, or even um, smirked or, or whatever because of my faith, where I've just shut my mouth and there was a, a, a moment missed, Lord, help me with those times. We pray that your kingdom come your will be done uh, on earth in my life, in our lives, in this church, just like a glimpse of heaven. God, we see evil all around the world. We don't know what to do when we see what's happening in the Middle East. It just leaves us feeling hopeless, Lord. But, and yet we have an opportunity right now to pray, your kingdom come. In Israel and Gaza and Iran and Iraq and in Jordan and Saudi, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth like it is in heaven. I pray that, Lord, in my, my life and in my family's life and in the lives of the, all of the people represented here, Lord, in this church, in Everton Hills, in the north side of Brisbane, in our city, in our state and in our nation, God, we ask that you deliver us from evil. And Lord, help us to be eager to do good 
as we push back against evil and your kingdom expands. Lord, help us to see the opportunities where we can do good when there's someone in need, when there's a brokenness or an injustice or whatever it is, Lord. The followers of Jesus step in and do good and we do that and we, and we pray, Lord, that you would help us to see those times and to have the courage to say yes and to, to do good because we're eager. Eager to do good. If you're sitting here this morning and you heard that call to follow Jesus, you can just take a moment now just to quietly pray in your heart. Jesus, I admit that you are who you are and I need, I need you. You are who you say you are and I need you. I believe. I believe that and that you died and that you did rise again. I believe it. And I commit to you today as one of your followers, as one of your people, your family, your kingdom. I commit to you everything today in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.